1: Hello listeners, before we begin, since this is a shorter episode, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank the show's patrons. So I wanted to shout out Remy, Paul Brown and JK, who have all recently become patrons over on Patreon. It truly helps so much more than you can know when you become a patron or even just when you like or comment or share this podcast with anyone who you think might be interested. I want to thank all of you so much for your support, and I hope that you're enjoying all the extra material you have access to now. Hi listeners, I wanted to take a second to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, restaurant-quality, and dietitian approved and it's all ready to go in two minutes with n- minimal meal prep. I've had some fantastic meals like butter chicken and tomato risotto with Factor, and I've got to say, I've been extremely impressed with all of them, they genuinely are restaurant quality. You'll get over 35 different options to choose from every week if you try out Factor, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus and Keto. Also, with pancakes, smoothies and more, there's over 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and ready to go throughout the day. Factor also works around your schedule. You can order as little or as much as you need each week, and they even let you reschedule deliveries any time of when those unexpected somethings happen to pop up. And to top it all off, Factor is cheaper than ordering takeout, so it really is a smart move to try it out. Get started today, and get after your goals. If you're interested in trying Factor, head to factormeals.com/anglo50 and use code ANGLO50 to get 50% off. That's code ANGLO50 at factormeals.com/anglo50 to get 50% off. Spin
0: your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time
1: What? I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Episode 63, Rebuilding and Downfall. Following Cadwalla's death in 688, Sussex seemingly did not regain its independence. As with the early history of Sussex, the kingdom's history post-688 is again one of long stretches of obscurity, occasionally broken by flashes of insight. Thus, the next king of the South Saxons, for whom we have any documentary evidence after Cadwalla, is Nothhelm. And the first evidence we have for him comes from a charter issued in 692, in which he is identified as Rex Sutsax, but in which he also witnesses under the name Nunna. Going forward, I'll call him Nunna, since that seems to have been what he preferred. Whether he succeeded Cadwalla directly or whether he succeeded some otherwise unknown king or kings is a mystery. It seems likely, though, that he became king not long after Cadwalla's death, on account of Nunna's reputedly being a kinsman of King Aina of Wessex. The two seem to have cooperated on at least one occasion in 710, when Nunna supported Aina in his war against King Geraint of Dumnonia. Nunna was not the only king of Sussex in this time, though. In the same charter of 692, which introduces Nunna onto the historical stage, we also meet another king by the name of Watt. This Watt also witnessed other charters in the late 7th century, so exactly who he was is a matter of debate. One theory which circulates is that Watt was the king of a small tribal group within Sussex called the Hestingas, and who lived mostly around what is today Hastings. The main evidence for this claim is that we find several place names, beginning with Watt, in the area around Hastings today, while these are not found anywhere else in Sussex. Whether this is enough to say that the Hastingas had their own king is a matter of debate. The practice of sub-kingship was fairly widespread in early England, as we've discussed already in this podcast. So it seems quite possible that something like sub-kingship was practised by the South Saxons and that the sub-king was probably an heir or an otherwise powerful noble. The evidence for South Saxon politics is sufficiently obscure that we can't really be much more specific about this as of yet. It seems though that even if Watts was somehow connected to the Hestingas, he probably also had some important prominent role within South Saxon politics. In addition to shedding light on South Saxon politics, the Charter of 692 also sheds some light on the progressing Christianisation of Sussex. The grant was made by Nunna to his sister Nothgith, who we're told has made a vow to the missionary Bishop Wilfrid that she would become a nun and go on pilgrimage. This official embrace of Christianity by the King, who likely had roots in the more Christianised Wessex, Seems to obscure the otherwise slow advance of the new religion in Sussex. It was in the 690s that a separate missionary named Cuthman undertook a mission around Staining, indicating that the population there remained largely pagan. It was also in the 680s or the 690s that a woman by the name of Lewinna or Leofwin, who, according to later tradition, was attempting to preserve her virginity out of religious devotion, was murdered by heathen Saxons for her refusal to marry. These are anecdotal stories, but given that the people of White had been ruled by a pagan king as recently as 686, it it doesn't seem impossible that parts of Sussex, especially southern Sussex, remained largely pagan into the 690s, despite the attempts of the nobility to stamp out the old religion. Nunna was spearheading such attempts when, in 705, he oversaw the establishment of the Bishopric of Selsey, thereby separating the South Saxon church from the control of the Bishop of Winchester, who had thus far had de facto authority. By creating the Bishopric, Nunner was increasing the provision of pastoral care to the South Saxons, something which must have played a large role in the kingdom's eventual Christianisation. The last charter issued by Nunna is dated from 717, although its text incorrectly says that it was dated from 714. By this time, Watt had completely disappeared, presumably he died, to be replaced by another sub-king by the name of Athelstan, along with his wife Athelthrith. Like Watt, exactly what Athelstan was king of is unclear but it would seem to lend further support to the idea that the South Saxons had some kind of system of sub-kingship in place by the late 7th and early 8th centuries. After 717, things again subside into relative darkness. By 722, the alliance between Sussex and Wessex had seemingly come to an end, since in that year the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reports that Ina invaded the Kingdom of the South Saxons. The reason why may be suggested by the outcome of Ina's second invasion of Sussex in 725, in which he killed a West Saxon exile named Eildbert. Aelbert had allegedly fled into the Weald, and, like Cadwalla before him, probably was seeking to raise an army to invade Wessex. The invasion of Sussex likely suggests that Aelbert found a not unreceptive audience among the South Saxons, a fact which likely indicates that Nunna had died by 725. The next known king of Sussex was Athelbert, who we know was king by 733, because his sole surviving charter is witnessed by Bishop Seafrith of Selzy, who we know became bishop in that year. It is speculated that Athelbert may have been the son or the grandson of King Athelstan, who witnessed Nunna's 717 charter. With Nunna's death then, it seems that Athelbert became king and sought to break away from Wessex. This may indicate that the sub-kings of Sussex were indeed South Saxon nobles, who resented the imposed West Saxon domination. It seems likely then that they would lend support to a man like Aildbert, who may have been seeking to overthrow Aina. In the end, Eildbert failed, but Ina abdicated in 726 anyway, leaving Wessex under the control of the young men, who seemed to have brought about a period of instability, which eventually resulted in Wessex coming under the overlordship of Athelbald of Mercia. From here, things go quiet again until the late 760s, when some more charters survive, referring to a multitude of kings of Sussex, among them Ealdwolf, Alfwald, Oslac, and Osmond. What exactly was going on here isn't very clear, but it seems like the Confederation of Peoples, which made up Sussex, was under some strain at this time and the system of sub-kings was seemingly playing itself out to a somewhat absurd degree. This whole mess was seemingly ended in 771, when Offer of Mercia made his decisive intervention into Sussex. In that year he conquered the Hestingas, invading their territory from his stronghold in Kent, and by 772 he had conquered the entire kingdom. In that year, he asserted dominance by retroactively confirming charters issued by Athelbert and Osmond, before personally granting land in Sussex. In these personal grants, Alfwald, Oslac, and Osmond witness as ducks, a alderman, along with a new alderman by the name of Oswald, who seemingly owed his position to offer. Offa's direct rule of Sussex was mostly uninterrupted until his death in 792. The fates of the King's turned aldermen during this time is unclear. Sussex probably regained its independence following the collapse of the Mercian supremacy. Cohenwolf, Chailwolf, and Beowulf all seem to have been more concerned with subduing the Welsh and maintaining control over other parts of England than with reconquering Sussex. Who the kings of Sussex were at this time, if there were any kings, is unclear. All that is known is that by 825, following the West Saxon victory at Ellendon, the South Saxons were one of the people who pledged their loyalty to Edgbert of Wessex, effectively then becoming incorporated into an expanded West Saxon sphere of influence. The largely coastal kingdom of Sussex from henceforth suffered heavily from Norse raiding, probably a fact that contributed to the lack of much documentary evidence from the kingdom. And when Alfred proclaimed his kingdom of the Anglo-Saxons, Sussex was de facto included within his new kingdom, having lost all independence. Sussex is certainly one of the more obscure kingdoms that we've looked at. Its whole history relies on flashes of light in the darkness, which can at best give us only snapshots of its history. From this we can weave something of a narrative, even if it's not much of one. We see the early expansion of the kingdom from Saxon settlers in the western fringes of Kent to its tumultuous conversion and its oppression by Cadwalla. From here we see A story of political intrigue and opportunism set against a backdrop of larger powers vying for dominance that sussex could never hope to achieve in the end sussex is not one of the more consequential of the early english kingdoms but its story is nevertheless an intriguing one it's sometimes easy to lose sight of smaller players like this in history especially when they're not well served by written evidence but for all the merciers and the wessexes There may have been many Sussexes. Smaller communities fighting to survive in a world that, but for a miracle, would inevitably swallow them up. There's are rarely glamorous stories, but they nevertheless are worth telling, because in the end, Sussex was somebody's home, and its memory still has meaning for some today, and they are as worthy of knowing about their history as is anyone else. So while Sussex was not one of the big players, it was nevertheless an important place for its people, and thus it is worthy of a place in the tapestry that we call England. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Once again, I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and I hope you'll join me again next time. That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW proof. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.